How's everybody doing this morning? Praise the Lord. How you doing? Yes. Somebody say Jesus is Lord. To the glory of the Father. Saying when I make Jesus my Lord. Then everything that's troubling me must bow down. See, it's great to make him your savior, because then you know where you spend eternity. But when you make him Lord, then everything that was over you is subject to him. And then the things that used to dominate you, you start dominating them. Amen? Say, I am created to dominate. Say, life was not created to dominate me. See, some of you have struggled so long with different issues. You struggle so long being broke. You struggle so long in bad relationships. You struggle so long not feeling good enough that you don't even understand that that's not who you created to be. You don't even understand that God has called you to something better. Say, I'm called to something better. Yeah, yeah, I, I know the Bible says that in this life, you're going to have trouble. But if you read the rest of the verse, he says, but I've already overcome them. So, yes, trouble's going to show up in my life, but I can confidently know that when trouble shows up, that Jesus has already given me the victory. Somebody shout, I got the victory. Do I have any champions in this house? No, no, no. I, 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 I didn't say people who just showed up and got the trophy in games that they didn't keep score. I'm looking for some champions. I'm looking for some people that know without a shadow of a doubt that they are created to win, that they are created to overcome, that God is above all, that he has created you to be above and not beneath. I'm looking for some players on the team that don't give up because they down at halftime. I ain't never wanted to play ball with nobody who quit at halftime. I read the end of the book, and you need to turn and tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, don't give up. We already won. Come on and give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. We're going to go ahead and get into this teaching. We're going to pray right quick and get into this teaching. It's called Accept It. Uprooting the spirit of rejection. Accept it. Uprooting the spirit of rejection. Amen. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we give you praise with much thanksgiving. We thank you for your goodness, your mercy. We thank you for your favorite work in our life. We thank you for this written word that's logos that becomes rhema when you breathe on it. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come now dismantle every spirit of rejection no matter how deeply it hides on the inside of us allow your light to expose it and call it out we break up in advance with every place that we have given rejection power and authority over our life and we declare that whom the sun sets free is free indeed we declare that this spirit of rejection that we're dealing with today, we will not see it again. That not only is it broken over us, but it's broken over our children and our children's children unto a thousand generations. We decree the blessing of acceptance on our life, that we will know that we are accepted by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we believe this is a finished work in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
So I'm teaching a series called Accepted. Somebody shout, I'm accepted. accepted. Somebody say it like you mean it. Well, what do I mean by that? Because if you were believing God to get into a doctoral program or you were believing God to get into a certain college and you got your acceptance letter, you wouldn't just be like, oh, I'm accepted. How would you say it? I'm accepted. Amen. And so it's important for you to understand that you are accepted. So the first week that I covered this, I talked about a lot of the places that believers struggle. And what you may not realize this or not, but um, in, in Fellowship of Champions, we're doing a lot of um, warfare work. When Pastor Edwin began to teach the spirit, the series about being unoffendable, offense is a spirit. And it comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life. And so when he began to teach that, see, all casting out of devils doesn't involve you foaming at the mouth. Sometimes casting out the devil is going, whoa, I'm easily offended. Let me work on that. I'm highly sensitive. Let me deal with that. I always think they're talking about me. Let me get myself together. And so we moved into that, and now we're talking about the spirit of rejection, uprooting the spirit of rejection. Um, so let's go over the five reasons, um, the five reasons that the enemy sends rejection. So I encourage you to take notes. The five reasons that the enemy sends rejection. The number one reason that the enemy sends rejection is to make you distrust God. People who struggle with rejection do not trust God, particularly if you were rejected by your mother or your father or someone who had the responsibility for nurturing you. People who struggle with rejection struggle to trust God. So the number one reason that the enemy comes to give, re give people a spirit of rejection is to cause you to distrust God. And I want to submit to you that just because you go to church doesn't mean you trust God. I want to submit to you that just because you trust God with your eternity doesn't mean you trust him with your today. And in fact, many of us trust him with our eternity only because we can't see into eternity to manage it ourselves. But we don't trust him with our today because we're struggling with a spirit of rejection. The second reason that the enemy sends the spirit of rejection is to make you skeptical of people. People who struggle with rejection have a hard time trusting people. You're the kind of people that if somebody's nice to you, they always got to have a motive. And you're so busy thinking that you're a good judge of character that you typically end up picking the wrong people because you thought you were such a good judge of character because you were so skeptical of people that you only trusted your own judgment, which, which was skewed to begin with. And so because you only trusted your own judgment, which was skewed to begin with, you end up becoming friends or getting into a relationship with someone who does the thing that's already in you, which is rejects you in some way, which then makes you more skeptical of people. Can anybody see the cycle of this? Like, can you see the cycle of like there will be somebody and they won't pick well? What we call it at Fellowship of Champions is we say you have a broke picker. A broke picker, that means that you keep dating people who just not good for you. And they look good. And then everybody who loves you like, bad choice. you like, you don't want me to be happy. Because people who have a spirit of rejection and don't want to be rejected are skeptical of people. And typically the people they are skeptical of are the people they should not be skeptical of. And the people that they trust are the people they should not trust. You just say amen or ouch, whichever one. Number three reason that rejection comes is to instill you 
as your own protector, i.e. God. Because I really think we need to deal with this idea is that if God isn't God of your life, then somebody's God of your life. You got a God. Tell your neighbor, say, you have a God. Have a God. This is a great time to insert this. Um, before God called Abraham out of polytheism, the world was polytheistic. The world had multiple gods. It is the nature of humanity to have more than one God. It is in your flesh nature to have more than one God. So then when Jesus redeems us, he comes and he says, God says, hey, I'm the only God that you're going to have. The only reason that you have to tell somebody that I'm the only God that you're going to have is if they have a tendency to have other gods. Okay, let me make it plain for you. The only reason that you have to tell a man that you're going to be his only wife is if he the type of man who had lots of wives. You don't have to say that to a man who would only have one wife. You don't have to say to a woman who would only date one person, you should only date one person. It's only going to be us because that's what they would do normally. What do you, who do you have to say that to? You have to say that to people who are serial cheaters. You have to say, when we're in this relationship. Okay, all right. Have you ever been talking to somebody about fidelity? Fidelity means like not cheating, okay? Have you ever been talking to somebody about that and you've been blown away by the things that they don't think is cheating? Like, have you ever heard people say they got a work wife or a work husband? And you like, wait, <laughs> but you got a wife wife <laughs> and a husband. That is the indication of how natural it is in our nature to have two or three where God said there should only be one. It is in our nature. And so what happens is, is that in number three's part of rejection, if the enemy cannot steal you as your own God, then you decide what is right and wrong. When you are instilled as your own God, you decide what is right and wrong. When you're offended, you're operating as your own God. And that's the reason that someone can say to you, you need to forgive them, and you go, I probably should, but I'm not going to. Why? Because you have established your own identity of what is right and wrong because you are God of your life in that area. So the enemy uses rejection to instill you as your own God. Number th four, the enemy uses the spirit of rejection to make you a carrier of generational curses. Because if you struggle with rejection, you will impart rejection to your children. I, was, I saw this example the other day. Um, so this lady was saying how she tries to be mindful to watch her words, and her son, who's four, is in chess. And so she says that when she takes him to chess practice, that the instructor is saying how the little boy will not trust anybody's answers about his next move. So even, the, even though the instructor beats him time after time after time, he won't follow the instruction of the instructor, right? And she says to the instructor, that's his problem. He thinks he knows everything and he doesn't know anything, right? She says the instructor says it's not that he doesn't know anything, it's just that he doesn't know everything he needs to win. 
She says that as she sat there, the Lord said, do you realize that every single time you tell him that he knows nothing, you are creating a spirit of rejection about his intellect? He then has to prove to you that he does know something, even if it's to his own detriment. Now, she's like, I never intended to create this thing of rejection for my kid. But in trying to help your kid, you don't know nothing. You don't ever make the right choices then you create something that you're not trying to create. So then you pass on generational curses. When we look at history, when we look in family lines, right, typically if we see a father who isn't an active father, we can look in his life and see that he didn't have an active father. If we see a mother that didn't mother well, we can see that she wasn't mother well, that typically anytime we see a break from that, it is because somebody made a conscious choice. They said, my mama was crap and I'm not gonna be crap to my kids. And so they did all this work to unravel everything that had been done to them see deciding that you aren't gonna be what your daddy was isn't enough not to make you what your daddy was you have to learn what motivated your daddy so you can be motivated by something different deciding that you're not going to be anybody accidentally ever open their mouth and you sound just like your mama Any, let me see your hand if you've ever opened your mouth and said something and you sound just like your mama we laugh about this because Edwin's grandmama, who's gone home to be with the Lord, Meemaw, Meemaw used to fuss a lot. And when Edwin gets in mode where he wants everybody to clean up, I'll say to him, hey, Meemaw, you can stand down there. We got it. We all doing our stuff. Why? Because what you are around, what you are exposed to is what's going to come out of you. So it's not just enough to say I'm going to create a better life for my kids. I have to deal with the stuff that's dealing with me so I don't inadvertently pass it on to my kids. Amen. Just say, I got to deal with the stuff that's dealing with me so I can deal with my kids. Now, I, I, I'm going to throw this in for free. Say this for free. Some of you don't realize that the reason your kids are obedient, disobedient is because you are. You don't realize that. You don't understand why your kids don't follow rules. You like, but I tell them what to do. But if we search your life, not your public life, but your relationship with God, I guarantee you you can find a track of disobedience in your life because what's in you gets to come on your kids. In fact, you don't even have the authority to kick something out of your kid's life that's operating in your life. How you going to stop your kids from cursing when you curse? How you gonna stop your kids from getting drunk when you get when they see you get drunk every Friday and Saturday night? Oh, okay, y'all ain't gonna help me today. It's all right. We just gonna keep on going. Number five, it will make you abandon your God-given identity, position, and purpose. The spirit of rejection will make you identify your God-given identity, position, and purpose. Some of you are living the way that you are living now because you believe somebody else's lie about you. You believe what they said over what God said. Even if, who, if the, they, the they was you. Amen. So let's look at some scriptures and then we're going to deal with some things and then we're going to get on out of here. Y'all all right? Shout I'm accepted. I'm accepted. Say it like you mean it. I'm accepted. Say it again. 
I'm accepted. So let's look at scriptures. We know that rejection is a real thing. Rejection is not a new thing. I know that we're telling everybody they should go to counseling now, and counseling does have its place. I want to say this. Everybody knows this. I am a certified life coach. I have a master's in psychology. I am an advocate of counseling. But let me tell you something. If God don't help you, all the counseling in the world can't. I know people who've been going to counseling for 25 years still trying to work through the same thing that happened to them when they were three years old. If the Lord doesn't help you, if you don't let the Lord deliver you, all you go do is count on billable hours. Because God is the one who heals, whether he does it in church, whether he does it in your prayer room, whether he does it at a counseling session, whether he does it as an empowerment session, while he does it, whether you in the shower, in the car, say God is the one who heals. Amen. Let's look at these scriptures, Isaiah 49 and 15 in the King James Version. This is God talking to Israel, and he says, Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she may not remember and have compassion upon the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, but I will not forget. So God is asking this question right here. He says, is it possible for a woman to forget she had a baby and not nurture that baby? Well, we all know the answer to that. It's absolutely possible. But God says, even if they forget, I won't forget. So for those of you who have mother issues, your first section of being free today is that you could decide, even if my mother wasn't what she should have been, God never forgot me. My mother may not have been able to do everything that I needed. She may not have shown up in every way that I needed her to show up. She may have outright rejected me. She may have been abusive. She may have been mean. She may be cruel. She may not know how to give emotion. But at the end of the day, even when she forgot, God didn't forget. You go, no, 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 I made it on my own. No, 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 you only here because God didn't forget. Because God raised up teachers and people and Sunday school people and people who nurtured you and told that you were smart and somebody rubbed you on your back and somebody was praying for you and you didn't even know that they were praying for you. Even if your mama forgot, God didn't forget. Tell your neighbor, say that goes for daddies too. Even if your daddy forgot, God didn't forget. Now, one of the challenges with not having a father figure, twofold challenge, is that it's real hard to relate to God as a man if you didn't have a father figure. If, you know, I used to say all the time, hey, if God was a mama, I got that. If God is a mama, because when I call my grandma, baby, if she said she was going to do it, you could count on it. Anybody got somebody in your life, mother, father, grandfather, that like if you called them, they're coming through, right? But how many of you know that even as good as they are, they have limited resources? They have limited resources. Even if Bill Gates was your father, he has limited resources, but God doesn't. So the enemy works to get in parental relationships so he can get you to have a skewed perspective of God. If you had a mother who was just your friend, who always just was your friend, you don't understand a God that would correct. If you had a mother that all she did was correct, you don't understand a God that's affectionate. And so the enemy uses our first relationships in order to get us a misappropriated view of God, which is why in point three, I said you got to deal with what's working in you if you want your kids to be free from what's working in you. I know that this is tough because we live in a society where most of you, um, I'm going to use some words that's going to show my age. I'm going to use two words that will show my age. 
Some of you are perfected in your fronting and you're perpetrating a fraud. So you have learned to look good. You have learned to look like you whole. You have learned to look like you don't feel rejected. You have learned to look like you don't struggle with these issues, but looking like it and not being it are two different things. Say it's time to be free. Let's look at John 1 and 11. It says, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. So many times as believers, we sit around and we say things like this. How could so-and-so treat me like that? How could my mama do that to me? How could my sister not really love me? Jesus came unto his own, and they did not receive him. Jesus, who was perfect, Jesus, and they didn't receive him. If it can happen to Jesus, baby, it can happen to anybody. If it can happen to Jesus, it can ha- say if it can happen to Jesus, it can happen to anybody. It's a tough deal when the people in your family don't love you the way that you think you should be loved. It's tough, but you don't have to live in that forever. You don't have to be 46 still talking about the time you were six and your daddy didn't come pick you up. Be healed in Jesus' name. You, you, you ain't got to be. And just because you're successful on the outside, just because you're successful don't mean you're free. I used an example where I talked about um, Kimora Lee when she was um, married to Russell Simmons, and, they, and he had taken her to um, Paris to buy Versace dishes that I didn't even know they made, okay? So and she is in this store getting these custom-made dishes. They've come back to her house. Her house is finally appointed. It's absolutely perfect. And she looks at the camera and says, this is for all of the people who didn't think I was going to be nothing in junior high. What? How, how are you? How do you have Versace on your wall and you still concerned about who didn't like you in the eighth grade? Some of you are still jumping through hoops trying to cancel the first bad word somebody spoke over you. You're still trying to prove that you're not what they said you were. Amen. I know this one's tough. Let's go to Psalms 27 and 10. Psalms 27 and 10, it says, When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. The Lord Say, the Lord will take me up. See, this is hard because especially sometimes if you're the first person in your family to get saved or to get what we call, what my family calls super saved. If you're the first person in your family to get super saved, people who used to really rock with you don't really know what to do with you. And you think it's them, but you're the one who really changed. Because all of the stuff that used to be okay now isn't okay to you. And you're the one who changed. And typically when we get super saved, we extra zealous. Okay, I'm not going to talk about super saved. I'm going to talk about vegans for just a second. Just, a, just vegans, just a second. So you only stopped eating meat and cheese yesterday. And now you go go out to dinner with us, and the whole time we at dinner, you're talking about, uh, you go eat that chicken? What, 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 what the hell? What are you doing to your body? Like, just be faithful of a yo-no-cheese-eating life for a little while and let us see. No, because I want to help you because sometimes our rejection is self-induced. Because if we all used to fornicate and now you got delivered and you don't fornicate 
And but every time you come over, you got your face balled up at us. You probably not being a great witness because you actually think you better than us. And you can't deliver anybody that you think you better than. You go, nobody invites me anywhere anymore because you don't know how to act. Okay, I don't drink. And I don't drink because I'm so saved. I don't drink because I think it's nasty, okay? It's just gross to me, right? But if I went out to you with you and you had a drink, I ain't going to be the whole, mm. Mm. You know, the scripture says the little wine is good for your stomach. How's your stomach doing? What are you drinking all of that for? I mean, I know the Lord said a little bit, but this your second bottle. Nobody wants to hang out with anybody who acts that way. So I just want to say this. So make this declaration. Say, as I get free, I will not put other people in bondage. You know, it's like the people who finally got married. I love this because I've been married almost 24 years. Ain't nothing like the person who's been married for 16 days and now they're doing marriage classes. Hang on, <laughs> hang on, just uh, li listen, make it five years and come back and holler at your girl, okay? I was messing with somebody the other day because when they first got married, they was talking about how important it was to cook for their husband and serve their husband and all that stuff. I was like, oh, you've been married six years now, you ain't cooking every day no more, huh? How they working out? See, that stuff was cute in the beginning. <laughs> that stuff, it was cute when you came in and he was like, what we having for dinner? At six years, you like, you can't, your hands don't work? You don't, I mean, what? Did you, what, did you not know you was going to be hungry today? Uh, all right. Say, when, when people leave me, say, when people leave me, God will take me up. All right. So I want to go back and I just want to walk through these things because I really want to help you identify yourself. What does it mean to reject? To reject means to be dismissed. It means to be deemed inadequate or to be deemed inappropriate. That's what it means to be rejected. Somebody, they, they dismiss you. Sometimes somebody deems you as inadequate. Somebody deems you as inappropriate. Sometimes you take those labels on yourself. For example, kids who are the product of divorce, they decide that they got dismissed. They decide that they are inadequate. They decide that they aren't enough because the two people didn't stay together. But just because your mom and daddy broke up don't mean nothing to do with you. I'm going to help some of y'all. Listen, yo, some of your mom and daddies only made it that long because you was born. No, real talk. You, you, the enemy playing with you like you the reason they broke up, baby. You the reason they made it that long. If it hadn't been for you, if they had not got pregnant with you, they was going to get an annulment, baby. They weren't going to even make it to divorce. They realized they went, Lord Jesus, what have I got myself into? They stayed for you. They tried to make it work for you. You see, Pastor Edwin tells us all the time, it's all about the matter of new meaning, assigning new meaning, right? You can either decide that you're the reason that they broke up or you're the reason they made it that long. Amen. So it means to dismiss, to deem inadequate or inappropriate. Um, anytime you weren't protected, you were rejected. So anytime an adult was supposed to protect you and they didn't protect you, you were rejected right it's one of the reasons that you say like if anybody I grew up in the country and I know that some of y'all are newfangled but I grew up in the country that went like this that like if my sister or my cousins got into a fight 
We all got into a fight. Everybody got into a fight. We don't ask no questions about why we fight. If I see you punching my sister in the face, I'm going to kick you in your kidneys while you was punching her. And then when it's over, we go find out why we was fighting, right? Why? Because the concept of the family is that we protect each other. If you wrong, we talk about that when we got home. But listen, in my family, had I ever said, I didn't jump in it because she was talking too much, baby. My mom, girl, that would have been so bad for me. So anytime you weren't protected, there's a feeling of rejection that comes. So if you got molested, if you got left with a babysitter that was mean, all of those things can create feelings of rejection. Say, but God still heals. God still heals. Amen. Amen. One of the other things that's really detrimental in the African-American community that we just go talk about real quick is that when you let somebody raise your kid and there's no adoption. So, so this is big in our community and it's rooted from slavery. So in slavery, because families were broken up and dismantled, it's very important to black people for us to know who our people are. So your mama may live in another city and you ain't seen her in five years, and then people in your small town always need to tell you to sue your real mom. The problem with that is that it displaces kids, and then kids don't have any real identity of who they actually belong to. And part of being accepted is knowing who you belong to. So a lot of times you think you're helping somebody by saying, if I said, oh, if they said, oh, we're, we need y'all to take um, pay pay, right? Well, for how long? How long we gonna help you with Pepe? Because at some point, Pepe need to know who her mom and daddy is. And Pepe doesn't need to be confused with the idea that the people who are pretending to be her mom and daddy aren't actually her mom and daddy, and the people who aren't being her mom and daddy are actually her mom and daddy. That creates all types of rejection issues. All types of rejection issues when you don't know who you belong to. When somebody's parenting you, but then someone else who's your biological parent can come in and assert authority over the person who's actually parenting you, that create all kind of issues. Yeah. Tell your neighbor, say, somebody got to be the parents. Somebody has to be the parents. And you know who the real parents are? Whoever do the real work. Whoever do the real work. That's why pet owners sometimes say they they pet mommy. You didn't actually have a puppy, but you do all the work for it. So you like, I'm that puppy mama, right? <laughs> okay. Isaiah 53, let's look at this, and then we're going to just let you look at yourself, and then we're going to do some corporate deliverance. Hey, listen, y'all say, why, why do I do that? Because rejection is a tough issue, and if you don't laugh through it, you'll start talking about how you're not really rejected. When we can see all kind of behaviors, I'm going to show you that you can identify yourself. It's funny because when I, when I taught them, when I gave a list of these the last time, about five people texted me and said, did you, not cover, did you cover everybody in the church? When I listed all the things that show what rejection are. Yeah, pretty much everybody in this room has faced rejection. The question is whether you've healed from it or not. That's the question. The question is, you sitting here talking, I ain't never been rejected. You lying. The devil is a lie. You've been rejected. The question is whether you have healed from being rejected. Some of you won't go to your class reunion. <laughs> Ten years later, you won't go to your class reunion. Talking about, they were so mean to me. 
Now we at 2530, people feel like I'm not going to class reunion because you know how they used to treat me in high school. High school? You know how they used to treat you in high school? Reject it. We can make you cry right now by talking about that time in eighth grade you didn't make the cheerleading squad. No real talk, because those are the things. Or you know the time that your, your mama went to your sister play, but she didn't go to your play, but you totally discount that when she didn't go to your play, she actually had two jobs, and that's why she couldn't get off, because she was trying to make sure y'all could eat. And so you like, but you didn't do for me. We got five kids. We try to be good to them. Inevitably, at least once a week, somebody in our family is going to tell us about something we did for one person that we didn't do for them. Everybody has struggled with rejection, even the rejection you make up in your own head. Because you know what's contrary about rejection that's really interesting? Everybody knows when they're rejected, but they often overlook the times they were favored. You focus on when you were rejected, but you overlook the time that you were favored. And that's how you know that the spirit is working in you. The spirit of rejection is working in you when you can count all the times you were rejected, but you can't count the times you were favored. Amen. Isaiah 53, 3 through 5, and then let's go through these steps so you can see yourself and we can pray. We can go home. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, 3 through 5. You got it? Good. Pastor, Adam, turn that mic on and read it for me. <laughs> turn the mic on and read it for me. <laughs> it says, He is despised and rejected of men, and men of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And we hid, and we hid as it were, our faces from him, and he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Verse 4 says, Surely he hath bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Verse 5 says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Amen. Here's what I want to say to you at this point. Your rejection may be your facts, but it doesn't have to be your truth. Your rejections may be your facts but they don't have to be your truth. Just say, say, I don't have to stay this way forever. Can I help you, especially if we're talking about relationships, boyfriend, girlfriend, relationships, stuff like that? Some of them people that you sad about today, if we give you a year, you won't be sad. I mean, it, actually, if we give you about 45 days, if we give you about 45 days, you're going to be all right. So if you're sitting here feeling rejected because somebody you love left your life, just hold on. And as my grandma would say, keep living. Because if you keep living, what you crying over today, you'll be shouting over tomorrow. Well, this is one of my favorite stories. Listen, the boy that I loved in high school, he broke my heart. I'm so glad he did. He stopped growing. He 5'9". That would have been bad. I'm so glad. I was so devastated. But he didn't grow anymore. And I did. And I just, I mean, no shade to anybody who don't mind. I mean, I'm saying I don't want to be married to somebody who is shorter than me, right? Thank God he broke my heart so I could find this boo right here. <laughs> That's my boo. All right. Everybody's been rejected. 
I love it. Valley was about to give us that good mood movie. Yes. Church dismissed. No, I'm just joking. Let me get y'all to yourselves. All right. Okay. Everybody experiences rejection. Everybody doesn't have to embrace rejection. You got to learn how to let rejection roll off of you. You got to learn how to really embrace that if you go after the job and you don't get the job, it wasn't your job. If you date the person and it doesn't work out, they weren't your person. If you didn't get into that program, there's another program for you. But your whole life cannot be stopped on the nose. Here's the problem. Rejection will make you afraid to go for your yes. Rejection will make you afraid to go for your yes. What do I mean? I see people who got their heart broken at 22. They're like, I'm never going to love anymore. You 22, boo, keep living. I promise you, you go get over this and you go want somebody to go to the movies with. You got to make sure that in your rejection, you don't make word curses over your life. You don't release curses over your life. Nobody's ever going to hurt me like that. I'm never going to let anybody in. I'm never going to let anybody close to me. Well, why does everybody keep leaving me? Because you keep saying you weren't going to let nobody close to you. People tired of fighting trying to get past that brick wall you built up. And so then you become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Amen. So in, in 1 Samuel 8, you can read it when you get home. 1 Samuel 8, 1 through 7, I want to tell this story. It's, um, so Samuel was responsible for anointing Saul as king. And after he anointed Saul as king, basically Saul just didn't follow the rules. I mean, you know, it's kind of like you put your neck out on the line to get somebody a job, and then they don't come to work on time. So basically, the Lord came to Saul, I mean to Samuel, and said, listen, I'm taking my hands off Saul. He's not going to be the king anymore, and I'm about to appoint a new king. And Samuel grieved over that. And the Lord gave him a little while to grieve. He let him grieve. He let him feel sorry. And then he came back to him. He said, how long you going to keep grieving? Ask your neighbor, say, how long, how long you going to keep grieving? Especially if you believe Jesus took your grief. Okay, some of you going to get mad at me, but we're going to work through it, okay? We're going to work through it. I know you're going to get mad, but I do have security, so don't run up here if you get mad. Listen, <laughs> some of you believe that you are honoring your parents by still grieving. Still grieving. Your mom been gone seven years. You still grieving. You still grieving what your daddy didn't do. Nobody is called to grieve as a symbol of honor forever. Grief has an end date. Grief has an end date. That's why in the Bible he would say, you can grieve over Moses for 30 days and then you got to get up. Why? Because people who stay in grief end up with some other issues. Depression, anxiety, mental health issues. You are not doing Big Mama a favor because you still can't enjoy the 4th of July because of all the stuff y'all used to do at her house on the 4th of July. Create a new tradition. Don't shout me down, but I'm trying to help you. It is a manipulation of the enemy to make you dread Thanksgiving. To make you dread Thanksgiving because Big Mama ain't here no more. To make you hate Mother's Day even though you are a mother. Ooh, let me help you. So you are a mother, but you hate Mother's Day because your mother is gone. So you are in essence doing to your kids the same loss that you're experiencing right now even though you're present. Can't nobody celebrate me for my birthday because nobody could celebrate me like my mama could. What? 
It's grief. And it's going to create a spirit of rejection for your kids. And then you'll end up one day and nobody will celebrate you on your days. You'll be like, why don't anybody celebrate me? Well, because you said you spent years telling us not to celebrate you. All right, let's move on. So Saul, so finally God says to Samuel, he says, enough is enough. Tell your neighbor, say enough is enough. enough. Whatever rejected you, enough is enough. Cry over it and move on. But not crying forever. Not crying indefinitely. Amen? Amen. So we're going to end with this right here. These are the ways that you can tell. So when you, um, when you experience rejection, you have the choice to let it go or to become rejected. And people who become rejected end up perpetuating rejection. So they end up in a cycle of rejection, being rejected, rejected, being rejected, rejected. All right? So let me show you some ways that the spirit of rejection can manifest so you can look at yourself and then we can pray. All right? One of the biggest ways that the spirit of rejection manifests is through lust. Research is clear about this. Especially girls who do not have active roles with their father. They are, what's the percentage? 900% more likely to have sex prior to marriage. So one of the things is that people who feel rejected give their bodies to people to be accepted. Except it's a false acceptance. Because they don't really love you, they love how you make them feel. And the problem with that is that they can get that feeling from anybody. And so you feel like, because you feel rejected, that something special happened to you in your encounter, but nothing special happened to you. You just met a physical need. So you fell in love because you thought you had intimacy and they moved on because they only had sex. People say, we talk about this in church. Yes, God, we got to talk about this in church. Yes. So because you feel rejected, because you don't feel good about yourself, you offer your body to someone who wasn't worthy of it because they didn't pick you to begin with. They pick, you happen to be present when they needed to release. There is a difference between being selected and being available because somebody needs to release. Selah. So the problem with it is that if you don't realize it's a spirit of rejection, then you give your body to this person and they leave you. So then you go in search of that feeling again and you give your body to this person and then they leave you. And then this person and they leave you. And then before you know it, you got a 46 body count and nobody loves you. And then you feel bad because not only were you rejected, but now you feel like a hoe. Hoe in the Bible. I, it's in the Bible. Because I saw some of y'all like, did she say ho? No, it's in the Bible. I'm sorry, whore. Okay, my bad, whore. Ho is in the Bible. We always talk about how people have their own language. Everybody knows ho is just short for whore, which is short for whoremonger. It's in the Bible. And, and I just want to parenthetically insert this to you guys who rack up bodies and then call women hoes, 
You're perpetuating their rejection every time you lay down and sleep with a woman that you know you don't want. And then you're further, up, you're further adding to their rejection by going out telling somebody else they a hoe. Go ahead and repent right now. Yeah, you can repent. You sleep with a woman you know you don't want. You know you don't want her. You don't like her. In fact, if you hadn't been drunk in the club, you never would have picked her. You sleep with her, and then you talk about her. And so basically, you become a tool of the enemy. You used her to satisfy yourself, and then you use your mouth to destroy her name. We out here now, and every woman... Who just cause your body count ain't as high? You talk about another woman cause she got a high body count? You a tool of the devil too. Cause I just want to help you and let you know what the Bible say. A hoe is a hoe is a hoe. So if you gave your body to one person 500 times or 500 people one time, according to the Bible, still a hoe. Oh, no, 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 no. I know, I know you didn't actually penetrate, but you put your mouth somewhere. Still a hoe. Because I just want to help us. So the next time you see somebody saying, oh, you know so-and-so just a hoe, you go, wait a minute. That's how the spirit of rejection gets triggered. And not only do I not want it on my life, I don't want to co-sign for it on anybody else's life. Lust. Number one, lust. Number two, we can move on. Y'all can calm down. Exhale. All right. Number two, lust is how rejection manifests. So if you always find yourself, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot this is 2018. Some of you don't actually have sex anymore. You sexed. It's still a spirit of lust. Sexting is a spirit of lust. Sending your body pictures to people. Spirit of lust. I can have a whole conversation about that, but you know, listen, uh, I'm not. Listen, so I know you're like, oh, I'm not actually having sex. But you sending that nipple shot. <laughs> what, Pastor Sean, why would, you, why would you talk to us so bluntly? Because if I don't talk to you that bluntly, you'll think it's better than it is and you won't admit what it actually is and then you won't deal with it. So after lust comes pride. Pride is not near as entertaining as lust. Pride are the people who you think you know even when we can all see you don't know. The pride people don't never need no help. Pride people aren't teachable. You have been trying to help somebody do something that they ask you to help them do. And while you ask, while they ask you to help them. And while you are helping them do what they said they didn't know how to do, they telling you how to do it. Pride. You can see it a lot of time in athletes, especially really good athletes. Really good, a lot of really good athletes aren't coachable because they're so used to being better than everybody else. So then you'll be like, hey, you can hit your free throw if you bend your legs. My legs was bent. Well, this video right here say they weren't. This video say they were straight up and down. You, you lost your man on the route. No, I didn't. You look back. No, I didn't. The video right here, this video, it say you looked back, okay? 
Pastor Evan said that he was at McDonald's yesterday and the lady had got the order all wrong, but he could tell that she was new. And he went back in. She was a young girl. She had got the, the order wrong. And her boss was being really kind to her, but her boss was trying to tell her what she did wrong. So she did something wrong, right? Her boss says, look here. And she keep looking away. That's pride working because you don't know how to do it. But now somebody's trying to tell you how to do it and now you're distracted. Amen. Pride is when you think you know more than you know. And it's evidence that you don't know that much because you're not producing any fruit. Pride. Number three, ways um, rejection manifests, withdrawal. Withdrawal people are the people who like, because they're afraid of rejection, they say stuff like this, I don't need no friends. I don't need no friends. I don't need no new friends. So you made all your friends at six? Like in your whole life, you're going to meet hundreds of thousands of people and nobody else gets to be in your life. I don't need no friends. I'm going to go over here and be by myself. Well, another reason, a way that with people who struggle with withdrawal can see themselves is that they always know the click. I said this, I'm going to keep saying it. The people who always can identify the click anywhere, people who don't struggle with rejection don't know there's a click. They just hang with whoever they hanging with. They don't no People who struggle with rejection in 15 minutes after service can identify the seven clicks here. They're like, these people right here, they hang together, they always hang together. Maybe they just together because they all sat right there. Maybe they didn't actually intend to sit in that section. They just sat in that section. Maybe these people are all sitting together because they're actually family. So if you're a person who withdrawing and always identifying the click, you probably got a spirit of rejection. Number four, critical spirit. Critical spirit people. They know what's wrong with everybody but themselves. The critical spirit people are the people who came in and said, ooh, this wall is really nice. I, didn't, I wouldn't have used so many blues. Well, you didn't paint nothing. You didn't paint, you didn't tape, you didn't clean up. Well, well why y'all put some yellow or something in there? Uh, why the chairs set up like this? Ooh, the greeters, they didn't speak to me. Will you greet? Mm-mm, I don't greet. Ooh, the kids too loud. Will you work in children's church? Mm-mm, I don't like kids. Will, will, you cook for the, will you cook for the fellowship dinner? Mm-mm. And then everybody food, you like, who cooked that? Ooh, she used too much paprika in that. Mm, she ain't used enough pepper in that. Critical spirit people, they always could do it better, but they never do nothing. Critical spirit people always can do it better. You can always want to, but, but when it's time for the rubber to meet the road and the show to be done, a lot of critical spirit people is people who was real critical about, I love this. I love critical non-parents. Ain't nothing better than a critical non-parent because, baby, when you get them little kids and you talk about how you want to let your kid act on that plane and then they throw up on everybody, baby, I'll be cracking up. I'll be like, because you thought you knew, huh? That's what you get. Critical spirit. So are you, are you, do you have a critical spirit? Do people say that about you, that you're super critical, that you're always putting people down? You're all, do you always know what's wrong with everybody? If we all go out and we go, ooh, her hair nice, and you go, mm, it's a lace front. <laughs> do, did that mean it wasn't nice? Ooh, her nails cute. They not hers. She probably did them at home. Like what? All right, extreme sensitivity. 
extremely sensitive. People who struggle with a spirit of rejection are just overly sensitive. If you're overly sensitive, you can just admit it and be like, I'm going to be free. I'm going to get some tougher skin. Like, everything is about you. Anybody know something that everything is about them? Extremely sensitive people, they're the kind of people who make other people Facebook post about them. I know when she said that, I know she was talking about me. How do you know? Did she tag you in it? Nope, but you know what? I know she was talking about me. So she got 5,000 friends, but she was talking about you. It's sensitive, triggered by everything. They talking about me, they looking at me. I went on a trip one time with one of my professors, and everywhere we went, she said the people was looking at us. It was the most stressful thing ever. She was like, see how they looking at us? And I'm like, like, do they want to do something to us? Like, what, what's happening? No, no, why? they're looking at us. I'm like, they're probably looking at us because we walked in the room. That's typically what happens when someone walks in the room. People, But she was so sensitive about people looking at her, and she had some rejection issues or some things that had happened to her in her life that made her super hype about people looking at her. So are you extremely sensitive? Depression. People who struggle with a spirit of rejection can very easily fall into depression. Typically because they isolate themselves and they have a spirit of pride. So here's the challenge when spirits start working in combination. If you struggle with sadness and then you also struggle with rejection and pride, you don't want to ask anybody for any help. And then when they tell you what to do, you think that your situation is superior and nobody can really understand. People who really, a lot of times you'll see combination of pride and depression work together because people will say nobody understands. Can I help you? You don't have a situation that nobody can understand. Nobody. The Bible says that. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. Well, you don't know what my mama, my blah, blah, blah. You don't have a situation that nobody in the world is immune from understanding. So you go to a counselor. They got a doctorate in psychology, right? They have seen hundreds of patients, but they don't understand your conflict. And then typically if they call you out about something, then you point out what's wrong with them. Oh, that's when that pride, depression combo get to working together because then people try to start talking to you about how to be free and then you start telling them what's wrong with them. Any of you ever done that? Somebody tried to help you and you're like, well, I know you ain't really trying to talk to me because you know what? Okay, you're not. All right. Fake happiness. Only you know whether your happiness is fake or not. I'm just going to tell you that. Fake happiness. Extreme highs and lows. Extreme highs and lows. So literally, you're the people that make us nervous on social media because you wake up in the morning, you like at 7 o'clock in the morning, you like, today is going to be a great day. I'm blessed and highly favored and the blessing of the Lord is all up on me and I decree it over you. And then at 8.30, you like, if this person get in my way one more time, I'm going to punch them in the face. And then at noon, you like, I think I'm going to quit my job. I don't know how I'm going to make it. And then at night, you like, I don't think anybody loves me. Extreme highs and lows, typically there is a root of rejection working there. Somebody like, ouch. I just want to say that social media is a great place, but it's not a diary. And it's not a replacement for real therapy if you need it. And I know you want to keep it real, but everything isn't for public consumption. Pastor Elwin says all the time, you don't have to be ashamed of everything, but you ain't got to tell everything. You, you don't have to be ashamed of everything, but you certainly don't have to tell it all. All right. Two more. Affection issues. If it is hard for people to show you affection, you can't 
you don't want affection. Or you want affection until you get affection, and then you don't want affection. So you don't want people to hug you. You don't want people to touch you. I'm not talking about random people because nobody just wants random people touching on them. I'm talking about the people you say you love. You don't want them hugging you. It makes you uncomfortable when they touch you. There is probably some root of rejection that you are working with there. And then the last one is perfectionism. This one's really important because it's important to know the difference between perfectionism and excellence. Everybody should strive for excellence. Say, everybody should strive for excellence. Perfectionism is from the devil. And the reason that perfectionism is from the devil is because even when you've done your best, you can't take any satisfaction in it. You literally beat yourself up over stuff other people would never notice. You gave the very best you had. You did your best. Everybody said it was amazing. And you lay in bed and think about all the things that you did wrong. That is perfectionism. It is from the devil. It is typically rooted in a spirit of rejection because somebody taught you that you had to perform for love. Research tells us that if your kids come home, they make all A's and a C. Most parents will spend more time talking about the C than the A's. Don't even make sense. If you're a parent who does that, stop it. Your kid has seven classes. They made six A's, and you minimize the work of the six A's throwing daggers at the one C. You teach your kids that they have to perform for love. Well, how can I handle it? Hey, what can we do to get that C up? How can I help you get that C up? Okay, we're going to implement that, but let me talk to you about how proud I am of these A's, man, right here. This right here, this, this good stuff right here. You know, start with the C, end on the high. Man, I'm really proud of you. You know, it's the reason that some kids quit sports. I just want to tell you, there is nothing worse than a parent who wasn't good at sports, and now you want your kid to be a superstar. I mean, or, or you were good at sports, and now you out there hollering at your kids. Your, you out there mad at them, talking about hollering because they missed the free throw. People think you the kid enemy. They don't know you the kid parent because you up there to take them out. Take them out. You teach your kids that they got to perform. That you, they, that you have to perform. Man, if you can't go to your kid's game and just sit down and be a normal fan, don't go. Stand outside. I'm not talking about cheering. I'm talking about literally your kids scored 15 points and you talk about the five free throws they missed. Hush. You can tell, uh, no, perfectionism. OCD is a form of perfectionism, which comes from a spirit of rejection. So a lot of times in the freedom work that you're doing, when you're going to your counselor, when you're talking about stuff, some of it is that you need to pray and break up with some of the stuff on your life. So that's how we're going to end today. We're just going to pray over some stuff over our lives, and then we're going to leave. <laughs>